pushed Boston into dead last in the standings behind the Blue Jays by one game. Yeah, and, and <laughs> that's fun to say. Why is there a Japanese ground crew in Cleveland? What? I don't know. <laughs> Think about all that time you got to sell tickets to that game. <laughs> Man, you're cynical. I like it. Of artificial turf wars, where anything we can do to ruin Kurt Schilling's day, we will do. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how's it going? It's not too bad. Like, as you said, with the Jays ruined Kurt Schilling's day at that World Series celebration, which stupid Kurt Schilling. So, yay. <laughs> I mean, just because he's an awful person doesn't actually. Yeah, he's an awful person. And it doesn't really deserve any extra uh, at all. We, we have a different team to talk about, though. We're not going to talk about Kurt Schilling all day. We're going to talk about the Blue Jays, who are. I mean, it doesn't feel like two and four. Feels like like one and six since we last talked. But we're going to say two and four. It was a rough week. It was uh, it was cold in Cleveland, and so were the Jays. I don't know where the hitting is. We're going to discuss that. Uh, there are some some little experiences worth breaking down. There was some weird bunting in a in a in a situation. There was a steal of home, which literally happens every few years. So we should probably talk a little bit about that. Uh, we did ruin the Red Sox home opener. Which is hard to do, uh, but not as hard as one would think, because the Red Sox are actually worse than the Blue Jays. We have an update on both <laughs> Vlad and Buckholes, which, I mean, we had an update last week on Vlad and Buckholes. These are good updates, though. Uh, and then there was a, a tweet by Jonathan Birenbaum we're going to go into about all the Blue Jays who recently left and just how that's been working out for them. We have, of course, your questions, and we have a remarkable do-over where Pat Tabler attempted math in his head and it did not turn out well at all well let's let's shocker yeah let's get down to it uh two and four and swept out of cleveland uh where do the blue jays go from here well they still have another game with boston i mean the, the go from here is sort of hard to answer i mean so the blue jays have been really good at pitching and really quite bad at hitting. Um, you know, like that, that series against Cleveland, they scored a total of six runs in the four games. And Trevor Bauer, for the second series in a row, a pitcher left with a no-hitter against the Blue Jays, and the bullpen gave it up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say the pitching has been surprisingly good, and the hitting has been surprisingly bad. Uh, which makes me, I got this sinking feeling that that's going to reverse itself in about three weeks. And we're going to be like, man, where were all these runs when the pitchers were holding down the fort? And we're just never going to know the answer to that question. Yeah. I mean, the hitters on this team, as we sort of touched on this last week when we went over this, because they weren't hitting that either. Yeah. There's a lot of mediocre to bad hitters in this lineup. I mean, Billy McKinney is a fourth outfielder. He's playing every day. And, Oscar Hernandez is, you know, we've seen him struggle at times. You know, the same with Lourdes Gurriel and Jansen's a rookie. I mean, on and on and on the list goes. There's these guys that just, they're not good hitters. It's not that they're necessarily terrible, but, you know, 
especially early in the season when pitchers typically are ahead of hitters, although it's in cold weather places, at least, you know, look at Los Angeles who's scoring a thousand runs, but you know, so this might happen. I think maybe it's been magnified by the fact that uh, with one exception, well, maybe two exceptions, but we'll talk about them. Uh, a lot of these guys have, have been the worst of their worst habits and the supposed reinforcements or the, you know, the roster filler, uh, whatever you want to put it, who came in have actually been, quantifiably worse at just putting the ball in play than the guys who were already here. I mean, Alan Hansen and Socrates Brito both have a strikeout rate over 45%. Right. And when we talk about that bunting and that's going to come back up, but you know, like, and here's the funny thing about this though, that I think is a little bit crazy. The current Blue Jays have struck out 120 times. In 12 games. That's really bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Their pitchers have struck out 126 batters. Sounds like it's really good. Yeah. The pitching, I mean, so it's just the strikeout rate is through the roof. And uh, I believe it was Matthew Trueblood who was talking about this. Part of this is a, a strange trend in the early part of the season where 15% of the plate appearances this season are are going to three and two counts. It was about 12% the last few years. And I think that what that does is it leads to more strikeouts because even when you get to three and two, you get people taking borderline pitches for strikeouts instead of swinging and putting them into play Hmm. because they think it's a ball four. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I I, I think you also... I I don't know. Well, the the other thing you get, I think, is is guys who are selling out to a fastball in that 3-2 count because historically that's what you've been getting and I would bet if you looked at the numbers from everything I've you know everything anecdotally I've seen is especially with the Blue Jays there is no need to give in with a fastball that teams are much more willing to throw breaking stuff in tough counts and if you're sold out and you're taking a big cut you're done for yeah, I mean, there's certainly some truth to that. And it was actually around 13.5% the last couple of years, or the last few years. But still, it's it's a jump. And I think that, I don't know how predictive that is and how long that's going to go, but you know, that change in counts would lead to an increase in strikeouts. The lack of hits, you know, up until they ran into Boston, who doesn't know how to pitch, apparently, um, has been super concerning to me, just personally. I, I, I know we're not putting the ball in play as much as you know, historically um, teams used to, but wow, <laughs> it's, it's pretty dull baseball to watch when, when nobody's even, you know, forcing the defense to do something. And again, this is a league wide trend and I'm, I, maybe I'm turning into an old man here, but I, I'm a little, little perplexed why at least a couple of people on the, on, in the lineup haven't taken that approach of being a tougher out. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's easier said than done. But it's sort of, I mean, especially guys that this wasn't supposed to be a problem for them. Like Danny Jansen has seven strikeouts to two walks. And he was, a, you know, around even in the minor leagues. And, you know, you got Lourdes Goriel who doesn't walk, but he's not, you know, 10 strikeouts and 33 plate appearances. That's not his thing either. He's a high contact guy. So I think that there's some level of, I don't know, pressing or early season jitters, which we talked about last week that's been going on because it shouldn't be this bad. Well, and then the other part that I think is is evidence of of a problem with the overall approach is a lot of teams are striking out. Obviously, you just said the Blue Jays have managed to strike out more than they've struck out against. But a lot of teams have sold out for power, 
and launch angle and all that other mm-hmm. stuff. And there's talk about the the ball being juiced again. And what did the the, the Yankees hit like 14 home runs in a series uh, over the course of a four game series? You know, how many Blue Jays home runs do you think have been hit this year? Without looking it up. Well, I have the stats in front of me, okay. so I can't. So I'd be cheating. I've been looking at this the whole the whole time. All right, <laughs> you can just nine. say it. Nine Blue Jays home runs, which yes. have come from only four players. We're twelve games in. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the problem, right? I mean, especially you know, to Oscar Hernandez, you expect him to be hitting for power. I mean that that was his calling card, and the way Billy McKinney's approach has changed with his you know his more lofty swing that's leading to more swings and misses, you'd expect some power from there too, and it just hasn't come yet. Yeah, though, so we should highlight the one guy who really has put it all together. Which I don't think you and I were necessarily banking on is Freddie Galvin. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> He's slugging six forty one. I mean, it's early. Uh, it is early, but he's only he struck out but, less than twenty percent of the time, which is remarkable for hmm. a guy who is slugging six forty one. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, he's hitting three thirty three. The batting average. I want to talk about Freddie Galvis a little bit further too. I mean, look, his hitting has been an incredible shock. He and Richard Arena actually have both been hitting really well. But uh, the thing with Galvis that I, I don't know—I think I may have mentioned this last week. I don't know, but watching him throw is just a treat. Everything is on the money. He he had a play against—I think it was against Boston. He took a ground ball in the hole. He had time, and he just took a half step and just like a little lob across the diamond, right the chest. Like, no, we know what perfect. Josh loves. I, <laughs> I love that kind of throwing because it's just so much easier to watch. It's like okay, there's no worry this guy's gonna airmail it or bounce it. Like I remember watching Jose Reyes, and it was you just prayed it was gonna get to the first baseman. So I mean, the pitchers, I think that that's contributing too, just the ease of, of you know, having a really good defensive infield infielder, I should say. Yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, the, the guys who have defensive value, according to Fangraph's measure, are um, Jans- the two catchers in Freddie and a little bit of Brandon Drury, which I don't know how much stake to put in a tiny fraction of an amount. Um, so that's the other thing, but I guess. But it's worth also mentioning. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say. I was going to say Jansen. <laughs> Everybody defending. go ahead. <laughs> we, we really did. The, really stepped on each other's toes a good bit there. We don't usually do that, but... Yeah, Jansen's throwing. I think we should just quickly highlight because he threw out another runner in the in the in the Boston game, and you know that was supposed to be a weakness for him. And so far this season, he's thrown out three of the or two of the of the five base dealers, which is forty percent. I mean, it's a small sample, but just in general, just watching him, it's clear that the work he did in the offseason is paying off because his relief is release is way quicker. And I think that teams tend to get tipped off early about guys in a performance in a given season and then start to adjust their play early like if someone throws out a couple of runners in the first couple weeks as an outfielder then third base coaches learn and i think first base coaches and that are 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 going to reevaluate his pop time so he might not see as many guys running on him as well which is you know it's good to establish that early for him yep i agree so okay you wanted to talk about bunting i think we can go to bunting oh sorry no i did have a pitching note I am shocked okay. here, and I, perhaps I shouldn't be shocked. Marcus Stroman and Matt Shoemaker, although their records, which we really don't care about, are radically different, have both... They, they pitch actually pretty close to one another. Similar K percentage, similar walk percentage. Shoemaker's actually given up more home runs, um, but uh, has a much better earned run average 
So Strowman is kind of a victim of his own, uh, as we've said, his his own tendency to give up ground balls. Trent Thornton has outpitched both of them. What the heck? Well, I mean, Trent Thornton has only made two starts. Shoemaker was just as good in his first two. But yeah, you're talking about the opposite thing. The Blue Jays have not scored a run for Marcus Stroman. <laughs> he's pitched three times and they haven't scored a run while he's in the game. Yeah, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? It must yeah. be early. Uh, well, especially, look, win- wins and losses, they mean nothing. But to pitchers, I think they still mean something. And as you may recall, Stroman, I think he started last year 0-8. I did not recall that. And now he's... I, I think that's what it was. And now he's 0-2. And, and, you know, it's just me like, oh, God, not again. <laughs> just but like the, the t- again. It's got to be – it has to wear on you, though. Like, even if you're pitching well, which he is. Mm-hmm. And I was 0-5, not 0-8, by the way. Um, you, it's got to wear on you that the team never wins when you're on the mound. Yeah. I mean, you're you're out there to see something good happen. And, and it's it, I'm sure it is mentally a little awkward. At, at best, um, to have that happening. So, yeah, I, I'm still, though, the, the fact that Trent Thornton is striking out 40% of the guys, almost 40% of the guys he faces, is just, that's really wild to me. Yeah, I and mean, then the Blue Jays pitching in general has been very good. The starting pitching, the same four guys we had in the last week, Sanchez, Thornton, Stroman, and Shoemaker. You know, Sanchez gave up a couple runs in his last outing in five innings, I believe. But it's going to yeah, it's good, but still fine, right? Yeah. You know, he is who he is. But, you know, that's four pitchers who are limiting runs and actually giving, somehow giving this team a chance to win when they were hitting nothing. And then, the, you know, and you alluded to, I mean, I'm just jumping the gun a bit here with this one, but like Clay Buckholz is coming back. He was with the team in Boston and he'll replace Pannone in that fifth spot. And all of a sudden you have, could have five pitchers who are, you know, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can find five hitters who are pretty good to go say, along with them. <laughs> yeah, and I could say could have because in, in Buckholz's one rehab start, he did give up five hits, and they were all home runs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just getting that out of the way <laughs> so we don't have to see any of that. Yeah. All right, bunting. Yeah. So you, earlier, you alluded to the str- prolific strikeout rates of current fill-ins Alan Hansen and Socrates Brito. You know, again, small sample sizes, but in the, I can't remember, was it the fourth inning or the third inning? The, the, the inning where the Jays scored a bunch of runs against uh, against Kersale. They had first and second, nobody out, and Richard Arrhenia was at the plate. Arrhenia, who is one of the few guys hitting well, but, you know, a track record of not being amazing, in a vacuum, that wouldn't be the worst time to bunt. It'd still be pretty bad because you're, you know, you're playing for fewer runs and you could be putting up a big inning. But in this situation, I thought it was really bad because the guys hitting behind him <laughs> were Alan Hansen and Billy McKinney left on left against Chris Sale. I mean, percentage-wise, that's not the best for scoring that runner from third. And of course, Urania got the bunt down with two strikes, and then Hansen immediately struck out on three pitches. Shocking exactly one person in the ballpark. I assume that would be Charlie Montoya. Right. And so all of a sudden they had a situation where they had second and third and two out. Billy McKinney 
batting ninth because it's left on left against Chris Sale. The expected run scoring there is got to be below 50%. <laughs> considerably below 50%. Oh, yeah. Below 20%? I don't know what the actual <laughs> math would be in that situation, but it's very bad. And, you know, baseball decided to reward him, but I really did not like that process. Well, let's talk about the reward. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, well, I mean, was it baseball that rewarded him? This It was the steal of home that we're talking about, right? Well, first, first sale through a wild pitch that let the first run score. Okay. So that's baseball. Well, we'll give that one run to baseball. We'll give the other, the other, uh, uh, to uh, the other run. run to absolute total lack of caution. <laughs> there have been four players yeah. to straight steal home in Blue Jays history. They've been around for 42 years. One of them happened last year, though. Yes. Which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, but it was the right time to do it, though. I mean, just considering the situation we just talked about, right? You have Billy McKinney up, left on left with two outs, and Chris Sale, a left-handed pitcher who is not quick to the plate at the best of times. So it was obviously struggling a little bit so, with his control after the wild pitch. Yeah, I'd been struggling with his control all game, which is part of the reason that the Jays had the lead they did. And so why not take that chance? If you're out, so be it. But, you know, he rattled Sale on that pitch, and he threw it about 10 feet wide of the bag. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so so that, it was pretty cool. Let's hope that's not a season highlight when we look back in six months. Let me just put it that way. I mean, it could be in the list, but let's let's hope it doesn't make, like, top three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're just going straight, straight rarity, like you said, it's only <laughs> happened four times. So it'll be in next season's hype video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just a cloud of dust in Fenway Park. Also doing that, in, I don't know why, doing it against a, a team in their, their park always seems more fun to me. Doing it home. Yeah. You know, not quite the same. Um, so yeah, a straight steal of home. Congratulations, Lord Escuriel. You've got, you've got a feather to put in your cap and leave there permanently. I was reminded for some reason of the time Adam Lind turned a triple play or started a triple play in Kansas City in it's like 2008 or something. And it was like... That was the greatest thing that happened in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Take your word for it. Well, they certainly didn't win, you know, 100 games. Um, so that was in the process of ruining Boston's home opener. No, no less the home opener in which they handed out their World Series rings. And Boston, yeah. and, and in ruining their home opener, pushed Boston into dead last in the standings behind the Blue Jays by one game. Yeah, and, and <laughs> that's fun to say. I think we should just put that as like the loop at the beginning of the show. But you know, they got they angered the baseball gods. This is what happened clearly by having Kurt Schilling at this ceremony. They angled the angered the baseball gods. Um, one of the things that was interesting there, which from seeing the responses of some Red Sox fans, the the, the last batter of that game was kind of a microcosm of what's going wrong for them. So Ken Giles was not his best. He struggled a bit with his command. He has a couple runners on base for Mookie Betts, which, you know, not the <laughs> not the guy you want up with the, as the go-ahead run at the plate. You, you mean Mr. And reigning he, MVP Mookie Betts? That guy? That guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. So he fell behind 3-1, and one, Giles did, and he threw the biggest hanging slider you will ever see. 
just that was just asking for a walk off three run home run, and Betts took it. Didn't even let it go. Didn't even pop it up or nothing. Just let it go. Just let it go. And then on the next pitch, Giles threw a hammer and struck him out to end the game. And that's just apparently what's been happening. They've just been bad pitch selection and the way, and the way that they're swinging and when they're not swinging. And it's great for the Blue Jays. And Giles continues to look fantastic. Yeah, future, what, uh, L.A. Dodger, Ken Giles? No, Washington National, for Washington sure. National, right. I saw that. Okay, I got the wrong, <laughs> the wrong team. <laughs> Sooner or later, we'll find out. Uh, so I think, you know, it's good. It's good that the Blue Jays, we had something to talk about that didn't involve getting swept out of Cleveland only. So I appreciate them for that, for, uh, yes. for you know, a good solid game in Fenway Park that they didn't blow a lead with a three run homer in the ninth off of our, our closer that, that everything sorted itself out as the baseball gods intended. Like you said, uh, the baseball gods are, well, you alluded to Clay Buckholz a couple of times. Essentially what we're saying is. He is going to be here. Do we have a hard date on that? Like, is he with the club? Yeah, he's there in Boston. And I don't know, that could be partially just because he played for Boston. But with the off day that they had before this game and then after this game, he probably won't be needed right away. But he's going to be up for the next time they need a fifth starter for sure. Possibly before that. Uh, Will that be before or after Vlad Jr. joins the team? We have a question about that later on, but he is in Buffalo. So hopefully after, because I want him up as soon as possible. All right. We will answer the question about that in more depth, but in Buffalo is, is a step up from in Dunedin. If you're wondering why we care that he's in Buffalo when we thought he was going to be, be there in the first place. If you lost track, he was rehabbing in Dunedin because they like to have them rehab where the weather's nice. I wish my boss had that when I was on light duties. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Go to Florida yeah. for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Get your feet under you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, sh- it should be noted that, like, the service time, we all know that service time was going to happen, manipulation for Vlad. That, that date is Friday. Like, once Friday passes, they've gained another year of service time. So he could be up for the next series. I don't think he necessarily will, but I think there's a good chance. Uh, there is so, some buzz, of course, about debuting him on the road in order to, yeah. uh, you know, minimize the jitters maybe of, of opening opening day for him. But we'll see whether that pans out or not. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's go to the, the Blue Jays who just left because uh, we did have an interesting tweet there. Yeah, not in that one. <laughs> I got tabs open everywhere and and somehow never the right ones. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, you can tease it if you like. Uh yeah, you know what? I've, we're we're gonna come back. I've got in a it minute. here if you need it. You have it? Fine. Yes. You read so, it. <laughs> this is from the great audio, by the way. This is from Jonah Beerenbaum <laughs> at Beerenball. Apropos of nothing in particular, Russell Martin. 10-day injured list. Troy Chilowiski, 10-day injured list. Kendrys Morales, 5.30 OPS and 34 plate appearances. Kevin Pillar, 5.14 OPS and 24 plate appearances. He did hit a home run after this. Then Dwight Smith Jr., 6.36 OPS and 43 plate appearances. So the best thing we've let get away so far is Dwight Smith Jr., who we would have projected as a fourth outfielder here anyway. So far. Exactly. So the Blue Jays 
with all of those guys would probably be exactly where they are right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, there's a reason they let those guys go. It's because they were never really going to be big helps. Now, Morales probably could have done a bit better, even if he's not doing it there. But those other guys, I mean, Martin was terrible last year. Tulowitzki didn't play last year. And Pilar and Smith are Pilar and Smith. Yeah, there's uh, – oh, and someone highlighted just below that in the comments. What's Josh Donaldson's OPS? If you scroll down, 563? Yes. Yes. I mean, I love former MVP Josh Donaldson, but he hasn't really broken out in Atlanta. Nope. Everything hurts so, and we're all dying. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody is hitting. It's like the curse of the Blue Jays right now. Yeah, that's how we do it. the opposite of the Yankees' uh, dust. We're going to go for a quick break, and we're going to come back with your questions and try not to trip all over one another while we do so. We'll be right back. And we're back. We're, we're totally sorted out, I swear. 100%. Okay. Um, maybe not 100%. Maybe 95% sorted out. Sure. I, I'll tell Didn't you what. Ways that some of our audio issues that first time. <laughs> oh, man. Who knows what's going to happen, really? Well, what's going to happen is we're going to answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? The good part is I've opened the correct tab on my browser. First shot. <laughs> good job. We have two questions regarding Brandon Drury. So we're going to ask one from Matt Sweeby, and then we're going to right after that ask one from uh, from uh, Curtis Butcher. So uh, Matt at Blue Jay Matt asks, after Drury arrived last year, we were told his performance was expected to improve since his vision problems had been corrected. Why is he still one of the worst players I've ever seen? Will he get sent down? <laughs> if he does go down, will he ever come back after Vlad and others arrive? Curtis Butcher at Curtis Butcher 1. Drury has been having good at bats and getting deep into counts, but his 20 strikeouts are a concern. When is it no longer too early to worry about his protection? I feel like they're watching two different guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of them might be giving Drury a little more credit. The other one, I mean, there's probably a happy medium between the amount of credit he deserves. He's been bad, though. I mean, there's there's no question that Brandon Drury has been terrible in the, in the early going. I mean, he's got 20 strikeouts, I believe, 19 strikeouts in 45 plate appearances, at least the league in strikeouts. Uh, you know, he's never been a guy, even – you know, like at, at any point where he was not a strikeout guy, he wasn't you know, a high contact guy, but he wasn't this, you know, like he struck out a hundred times in 500 plate appearances. So that's 20% <laughs> you know, in 2016 and just a 21% in 2017. So right around the league average, maybe a bit below average, even as far as strikeouts go. So he will be better than this. It's just right now he's terrible. So how long till that that stabilizes and we know what his real strikeout rate is in his current state i i, I think it's you still have to get a nice healthy sample size maybe 
150 plate appearances, 200. For pitchers, this kind of thing can stabilize reasonably quickly. But for hitters, you know, slumps are slumps. So he's only, he's only had 45 plate appearances. Just ask uh, Chris Davis about slumps. I knew you were going to bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> Broke the record for for most plate appearances in a row without a hit. Yeah. Yeah, 49. And maybe he's playing tonight. I don't know. Did they sit him down yet? They sat him down the, the, the day after he broke the record. It, but I think that might have been just more of like a, a mental health thing because you have to be pressing when something like that happens. And I think that's probably applicable to Drury when you're this bad and he barely played with his new team. But he does need to turn it around. Both of those guys need to turn it around. Chris Davis is not playing today, by the way. All right. So question two, on a lighter note from the heated end, at heated end, what do the Jays have to offer to Jobu to keep the, this offense going? How sustainable is this small ball? What, if anything, will change once Vlad comes up? So first question, the Jobu. Cigar and rum. <laughs> Absolutely. That's you give to Jobu. And it's <laughs> not necessary to sacrifice a chicken. No, clearly, because it worked fine without it. Yeah. <laughs> this is, by the way, the 30th anniversary of the release of that film was this past week. So you knew I was going to tweet out some like major league gifts. I was ready for like the one goddamn hit one, <laughs> but they ended up getting a couple extra hits late in the game. <laughs> so I got to use the, uh, the, the, the Japanese grounds crew, which, uh, you know, I won't swear on our podcast, but that, that one. <laughs> Are they Japanese? I didn't even, I thought they were Spanish. Yes. What do I know? <laughs> I've never really paid that much attention. Why is there a Japanese ground crew in Cleveland? What? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Who cares? Uh, Who cares? Okay. Yeah, well, obviously. I should not care about the, I, I, no. the grounds crew in Major League. but No, you really shouldn't. About the, the non clearly targeted towards me and us question. <laughs> How sustainable is this small ball? I mean, not. Right, I mean, the Jays lineup is not built for this. They're not contact hitters; they're power hitters. And if they're not hitting for power, then they're not going to score, as you alluded to earlier, Greg. Yeah, and and you, I mean, th there is such a thing as being overly aggressive, but I think the answer is going to be that they start zoning in on their pitches and hitting more home runs, not that they start moving runners over. That's like you said; it's just not this group of guys. Um, what will change once Vlad comes up? Uh, Vlad, from everything we've seen from his numbers in the minors, he he is not one of those guys who needs to sell out for power. He has an amazing control of the strike zone and is a contact-oriented hitter. Doesn't strike out much, doesn't walk much, but he walks as much as he strikes out. We'll see if he can hold that up, but I have a feeling he might be able to. Yeah. Um, does that All right, change, next question. Does that change the complexion of the whole lineup? No, not really. Next question... No, it really doesn't. Uh, so this is from Rowdy Luquez at Split Letters. Is the offense really going to be this anemic all year, or is this just an early slump? And with warmer weather and some Vlad, the lineup will turn it around. Figured we should follow those. Yeah. Um, so, no, it's not going to be this, this anemic all year, just like Chris Davis is probably going to eventually get a hit, and Brandon Drury is not going to strike out, you know, 40% of the time. I don't think the Vlad thing, like we just said, is going to make a huge difference to the overall lineup. Um, I, I think that, you know, the t some of the guys are going to have to reevaluate. Uh, we've seen it before, though, where a team that has essentially the same personnel 
uh, has had better and worse months. I Back when Cito Gaston, when, when the first time John Gibbons was fired, when Cito Gaston came in and Gene Tennis came back with him, uh, that team started scoring more runs within about two weeks uh, because they were, you know, they were urged to do things differently. Did it make them into a fantastic team? No, but it certainly made them more watchable. Yeah. Um, so, did you have anything to add to that one? No, I think I think you, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. So, moving on from from Gideon Turk, former Blue Jays Plus and BP Toronto, who do you think would be the easiest heart, slash hardest current Blue Jays pitcher to steal home against? Okay, presumably we need to start with uh, the fact that there's only two left-handed pitchers on the Blue Jays, and those are, I mean. I suppose there are certain situations where you can steal home on a right-handed pitcher. Like, I don't know, last year. That's I really think. hard. Did, did Kevin Pillar? He did off Patances, who is right-handed. Yeah. But generally, we're just... The question is, who would be the easiest? So you've got um, Pannone and Meza. I'm going to go with Meza because Meza has a ridiculous walk rate this year and probably doesn't know where the ball's going anyway. So it'd be easier to kind of, easy to kind of mess him up. So even if he did get the ball to the plate, it wouldn't be close enough to make the tag. I'm definitely going with Pannone because Meza always throws from the stretch. And Pannone, as a starter, might throw from the full with a runner on third base. And therefore, you could steal home. Because it's really hard, even against a lefty, to steal home if he's throwing from the stretch. Let's hope nobody tests it out. <laughs> <laughs> or that they do and get caught. That would be far more exciting. Uh, Gideon has a follow-up question. If Marcus Stroman were to steal home in an NL game, what would his tweet be following the game? <laughs> you can go first. Uh, let's see. My guess would be um, you have been blocked from viewing this person's tweets. <laughs> to, li- to know more, please click here. Uh, would be the tweet I would see. Okay, let's try try a different <laughs> tactic. <laughs> he would clearly poke fun at some other player in the in the team probably he would probably tell Lourdes Gurriel that he can do that better than, just as well as him too and like he'd point to his slugging percentage as well <laughs> to say that he should be playing second base so it would be a straight yeah, then, up uh not even a humble brag straight up brag at his skills and abilities yeah and then end with hashtag hdmh uh yeah the, I, he'd have a new hashtag for like like something about stealing home in the hashtag 100 percent. he would be with h yeah. <laughs> oh man pinch runner forever uh all right kate stanwick <laughs> if you were the ones making the decision and we know how good an idea it is to have us making decisions what date do you call up Vlad jr on and why so i'm gonna take this assuming two things one that we're actually operating, you know, under some direction that he cannot come up before the service time thing because that's just realistic. And two, that he needs still needs some level of rehab time because he was injured. So I'm going to say he needs these three games in Buffalo with the ones he's already had in Dunedin, and that he joins the Blue Jays on Monday in Minnesota. If I could think of some way to get him in here for Friday or Saturday, I would. Just purely Can't do Friday under my caveat. Yeah. Well, that's your caveat. I I yeah. want to see him. That's why. I want to see this kid play. Yeah. It's a long story short. Hey, but I, I think that 
but so if I'm running the team too, there's another consideration I think that's important here, which they're I think they're going to take into consideration. If you call him up on the road, especially on a Monday when you don't come home until Friday. Actually, no, they don't come home until the following week, following Tuesday. Think about all that time you've got to sell tickets to that game. <laughs> Man, you're cynical. That... I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that that's going to be a factor. They, they want to they, look. They know people want to go to that game. If that if they do it this way, by the way, the first day back will be Pilar's return. It's everything's happening. <laughs> <laughs> they might actually have a good crowd for a Tuesday in April. All right. I'm going to give you the softball question to end it up at T Ronto blue. I believe a new question answerer or someone who changed your Twitter handle uh, T Ronto. What batting average does Vlad need to hit at triple a to get called up before May 1st and who goes off the 40 man to make room. So uh, you can answer the first part first. 250. I mean, I think as long as he's hitting the ball hard and having good at bats, it doesn't really matter. Yep. Who goes off the 40 man? Alan Hansen. I was going to say, Alan Hansen, we hardly knew you. <laughs> That's... Well, it just makes sense. Yeah. They need another, like, they don't need three backup second basemen. Yeah, and the one striking out more than 50% of the time is probably the guy you're looking at to go. Now, here's a fun fact I found out from Wilner on the broadcast. Alan Hansen doesn't speak hardly any English. Okay. His name is Alan Hansen. Yeah, he's from the Dominican. Yeah, but it sounds like he's like, I thought, what, is he Dutch or something? Why, why does he speak any English? Uh, yeah, apparently uh, it's Alan, A-L-E-N. And uh, yeah, he's he's straight up from the Dominican. And, and I'm like, okay, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I just assumed, hey, he's he's got to be, you know, some, some other guy coming in with a very, very uh, North American sounding name. But... Um, yeah, he's, he's going to get his, uh, his walking papers. I think pretty much he's going to be the first guy off when anybody comes up, isn't he? I think, I think he's the next one for sure. I mean, they, like I said, they, they just don't need that many infielders and especially once Vlad comes up and he, Vlad should be the next guy that's added to the 40 band roster. So, yeah, I think he's not long for this roster, which is you know, it's too bad. I mean, he shouldn't be this bad, but they just don't need him. Are you ready for a do-over? Oh, I'm ready. What did you say? Oh, my God. Did he really just say that? Well, we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? Let's do this! I know that's not your favorite stinger, but the what did you say is 100% <laughs> appropriate for this. So this is from Brendan at Lateralist84, who tweeted out, uh, this is Brendan's whole tweet, holy hell, Tabler, quote, if you put the ball in play, one of three things happen, a base hit, an error, or an out. You have a 66% chance of something good happening, end quote. Which is the same noise I made when I read this. <laughs> And for those of you who couldn't understand it when Greg read that really fast, <laughs> Tavler was saying that there are three possible outcomes on a ball in play and therefore 66% chance of making it. Something good. An error or an out. Yes. Are you reminded okay, of, so like, of another attempt at statistics by someone one time uh, regarding the Large Hadron Collider? Do you remember that quote? 
No. So there was a there was a politician who was the, who was asked, you know, the Large Hadron Collider, should they use it? And he's like, no, because it could destroy the whole universe. And 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 people are like, well, yeah, but the the, the odds of that are are not high at all. He goes, well, either you fire it up and it does destroy the whole universe, or it doesn't. So there's like a fifty fifty chance of it happening. And people are like, no, <laughs> that's not how math works. Tabler went to the same. No, school. I hadn't heard that quote, but yes. Yeah, yes, clearly he that's where Pat Tabler gets his advice. See, when we first did the do-over, the very first one, it was for bad math. Yes. Or bad not bad math, but just crazy math, where where Mike Wilner suggested that Donaldson, Bautista, and Encarnacion hit 140 home runs. And we just there's this idea of like, you know, sometimes people speaking off the cuff just they say something a bit wrong. He probably you know, 120 would have been a much more reasonable number. This is not that. <laughs> <laughs> this is just it's speaking off the cuff, but saying something that is just so unbelievably dumb in the moment that you don't need a second thought to think, wait a minute. Your first thought should be, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tabler. So, okay, a quick review. If you put the ball in play... Just by going by batting average, as an example, um, you don't have a 66% chance of something good happening. You have like a 75% chance of nothing good happening. Uh, that should tip you off that you've done something horribly wrong in the back of your very, very uh, damp cocktail napkin where you've been doing all your math. Yeah, oh. I mean, bad, yeah, betting average ball in play is about 300, around there, 290, 300. Yeah, so you put the ball in play, you've, you've got a two-thirds chance <clears throat> of something yeah, and there's bad a, happening. And then there's home runs and errors, so it's like, it's not, like, zero. It's not really, really low. You put the ball in play, your odds of something good happening are probably around 35%, somewhere in that range, 30, 30 to 35. Not 66. <laughs> <laughs> also... Tabler treats it as if you don't put the ball in play, something bad happens all the time. That's implied by this statement. A walk... Yeah, so walks are bad. ...is a bad thing, apparently, because you wouldn't, you know, given that... Uh, there's so many... Again, sometimes I think Tabler is really just filling some space and he didn't want to repeat what Buck just said, so that's where he goes. What's the do-over? Um, man, just 40 lashes with fan graphs is my... Uh, it's my punishment. <laughs> I think it's not even that. I think it's to just watch baseball and watch, just put them on a loop, like uh, from Clockwork Orange, where his eyes are wide open, of just balls in play from like five games, just every ball in play, or probably 50 games, because balls don't go in play anymore. And just, and just so we can see how often they turn into outs. I would like to point out that the response to, the first response to Brendan here is from Turf Ferguson. And he says, that's why the average game features 54 errors. <laughs> uh, you yeah. win, Turf. <laughs> you win. You win the internet for today. All righty. That brings us around to uh, the end of another wonderful podcast with you and me what can i expect from you in terms of a final thought so everybody's probably seen this but marcelo zuna had one of the worst <laughs> plays you're gonna see <laughs> where he he went back to the wall and climbed it and the ball I, 
barely landed on the warning track. And so he, he climbs it, looks over, sees it's there, tries to fall back down to catch it and misses it. That is not the first time that's happened to him. <laughs> Twice in the last couple of years, he's climbed the fence to try to catch a ball that did not clear it. Uh, yeah. That this... Uh, I, I mean, my comment on it the other night on Twitter was it looks like it was something cut from that naked gun highlight reel um, right in the middle of the, of the ball game in the movie where, you know, there's a tiger on the field mauling a guy and all that other stuff. It, it's that just absurd that he's he's so far up the fence looking to rob a home run. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. His His teammates were laughing their heads off at him on the field. How can you not? It was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, yeah. See, the thing is, like, once that happens to you once, you think maybe you'd start running back actually tracking the ball <laughs> instead of just assuming it's over the fence. Sometimes we only know one way to do things, Josh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I'm going to, you know what? That's a good enough final thought. I don't have anything, and that was hilarious the other night. My entire Twitter feed was just people commenting on a 15-second gif of of that footage over and over again uh so yeah congratulations that's the highlight of the night or low light of the night one or the other the other thing we should do before we sign off here and i close it out is send out some thank yous because we have a wonderful bunch of patrons who are helping us out and i think you have a list of those names uh of people who make this all that much more possible Yes, and we do want to thank some of you again. Colleen Evans, of course, who's the highest pledge donor and just like basically, well, one of our, our favorite listeners. I'll ask questions all the time. And so really appreciate everything you've done for the show. And then we've got a couple new people, Jarrett Seaman and Matt Sweeby, who Matt Sweeby was, was a, a patron before, but now they're both at the level that they're going to come on the show and play some games with us or well, maybe against other people. I don't know. We'll see. It'll be, <laughs> we'll see what we do. And then Deco Cuff and Dave Church, who've also been on to play games before. So if you you know if you you can go over to patreon.com slash turfpod, you can see what you have to you know to do to get that. And then a couple other people we just want to thank specifically, Dylan Cochran, Sam Dado, Luke Porterfield, Tom and Tom Mully. We really appreciate it. And to the other patrons as well, we really it's really a huge help. It helps us do this every week. So we thank you so much. Thanks to all of you. Tell all your friends. And uh yeah, this is the part where I uh, tell everybody who everybody is. So, you have been Joshua Hausam at Joshua Hausam, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 137, and we'll talk at you again next week.